Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, I'm Sapphire, the author of The Kid, uh, my my second novel, and my first novel is Push. And while The Kid is not a sequel in a traditional sense in that we don't enter into and follow up on the life of Precious Jones, who was the star of uh, of Push, it is a sequel in that we're looking at the life of Precious's child, Abdul Jones, who is now an AIDS orphan. And it is a sequel in the sense that it continues to look at the profound and devastating effects of AIDS on the African-American community. One character that we were introduced to in my first novel, Push, is the AIDS epidemic. So I'm going to begin reading from the very first page of the novel. The novel is divided into four sections, and this section is entitled I'm Nine, and Abdul Jones, Precious's son, in this section is, is nine years old, and uh, Precious's um, best friend is talking to Abdul now, trying to wake him up. One, wake up, little man. Rita's voice is coming under the covers at me. It's warm under the covers, smell good like Rita and clean like sheets. I curl up tighter, squeeze my eyes shut, and go back to sleep. In the dream, it's Mommy's birthday party, and she's holding me in her arms, kissing me and dancing with me. Our house is smelling like lasagna, wine, and people, mostly girls sweating in perfume. One girl is smoking weed. Everyone is laughing. Mommy puts me down and goes to open her presents. She's sitting in the blue armchair under the light. All the people have presents in their hands and are holding them out to her. A lady who looks nice, but when she smiles, all her teeth is black is holding out a pretty present tied with a gold ribbon. No, 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 I want to say. But no words come out my mouth and Mommy takes the box. And I want to stay asleep even though I know it's a bomb and I'm not dreaming anymore. And if I was dreaming, the bomb would be exploding now. And now that it's too late, my voice would be loud. Abdul, someone is shaking my shoulder. Rita, I squeeze my eyes shut because when I open them, when I stick my head out from under the covers... My mother will be dead, and today will be her funeral. Abdul, Rita shake my shoulder again. I try to go back to the music, people dancing, and our house smelling like lasagna again, but I can't. Nuh-uh, I tell Rita. Five more minutes, she say. The music is all gone now. There's clear plastic tubes stuck in my mommy's nose. They come out her nose and is taped to the side of her face go up to a clear plastic bag hanging above her head. Another tube is stuck in her throat. It has tape around it. Her hands got tubes stuck in them, too, and is all swole up. A machine is going whish-shrump, whish-shrump, whish-shrump. The doctor is from Africa. He talks to me in French sometimes and looks at my homework. He tells jokes, but today he is not joking. She's doing her very best to stay here, little man. He grabs me up in his arms, but God may have other plans. He hand me to Rita, but Rita skinny can't hold me and puts me down. He leaves, comes back with a stool. Here, stand on this. Come on, little man. Your mommy's traveling. I want you to hold her hand. 
In the hall, the nurse say, I'm very sorry. Her condition is critical. Absolutely no visitors. Let them in, doctor say. White lady and lady with long dreadlocks come in and stand behind Rita at the foot of the bed. I'm scared to touch Mommy's hands with a tube sticking in them. I look up at the doctor, frog eyes of his red. He ain't cry. I ain't crying either. He walk over, put my hand on Mommy's shoulder. Wake up, Mommy. But her eyes don't open. She don't move. Then it's like when you turn down the TV set and can see the pictures moving around, but ain't no sound. It's quiet. Mommy cough, then go, ah, ah, her head raises up, but her eyes don't open, then her head falls down. Oh, my God, Rita say. Then the room is all noisy again, nurse in the hall talking, machine going whish, rump, whish, rump, somebody drops something. The doctor pick me up like I'm a baby and carry me out the room. I look back as the door swings shut. The nurse is pulling the tubes out Mommy's hand. After the death of his mother, Abdul is shuttled through the foster care system and orphanages. One of the things that is lost in transit is his name. Here he is in his first placement in a foster care home. Get back, the lady hollers from behind the door. Then she opens it. The house smells like dogs. I can't see nothing except pink polka dots. When I step back from the pink, I see this big light-skinned lady in a polka dot house coat and two big collie dogs. Well, don't just stand there. How are you, Miss Lily, the social workers say. Fine, fine, if I do say so. How about yourself? Coming in? No, no, I have two more pickups this morning. I can't stop. She looks at my envelope, then hands it to the lady. Miss Lily, this is Mr. Jones, Jamal Abdul. Howdy, honey. Say hello. Hello, I say. Miss Lily is going to be your foster mother. One of the dogs plops down by Miss Lily's feet. The other is dancing around, shaking himself. His tongue is hanging out. The one laying down is looking up at me with nasty eyes with snot in them. Well, come on in, honey. You ain't scared of dogs, is you? I shake my head no. Well, then come on. Mrs. Render, the social worker, sets my bag down inside the door, and I step inside the apartment next to it. Then she turns her back and rushes away. Come on in. You can call me Miss Lily or Mama, whatever. You like dogs? He looks old, I say, looking at the dog. I don't say his eyes look like they have some kind of disease. He is, honey. He's 14 if he's a day. You know how much that is in dog years? That's almost 100. How old are you? I'm nine. You're going to be a big one. Yep, you is. Well, just don't stand there. Pick up that bag and come on in. What you got in the bag? Clothes? I figured that out, big talker, but what else exactly? I need to know so I can make sure you got everything you need. My suit and stuff? Okay, and stuff. Let's take a look in this envelope and see what we got here. Mm Mm-hmm. Jamal A. Jones, nine years old, all right. Uh Uh-uh. My name is Abdul... Jamal Lewis Jones. Well, sweetie, it say Jamal A. Jones here, and on your Medicaid card, it say Jamal Jones. So I guess we're going to go with Jamal Jones. What you say, J.J.? Hey, I like that. How about that? From here on out, we're going to call you J.J. In this section of the novel, 
Our young man is not only being called J.J., he will fight you if you try to call him anything else. He's in the Catholic orphanage, St. Ilanthus, and it is here he first encounters what is going to be his passion in life, which is dance. And this happens on a day the staff at school have taken the other children to a swimming pool. But J.J. and his best friend have decided to sneak off across the street and get high. And so they realize at some point they have to return to the group in the swimming pool. And to get to the swimming pool, they decide to go to the gym, and then they'll come down to the swimming pool. And it's all convoluted because they're high. And, but they've made the assumption that all adults are dumb, and so they will somehow get back into this group. And so they find themselves in the gym, and they're gonna, uh, their plan is they'll splash some water from the water fountain and pretend they were swimming all along. But we're going to join them in the gym right now, and it's going to be a transformative moment for uh, J.J. Hey, I'm way high for the first time. And this scary dude, he has no plan but complain, complain. Hey, usually if ain't no guys playing basketball, the gym is empty. But when we get up the stairs, I stop short. All kind of people in here today dressed in bright colored tights, leotards, and sweats. Some got on African clothes. On one side of the room, like trees growing up from the floor, are four shiny drums sitting in front of four empty chairs. A big guy taller than me in a long white African robe sits down behind the biggest drum. Then three more dudes sit down behind the other drums. They go bap, bap, TDD, bap, bap. Another guy picks up a flute and starts to blow. It's so beautiful, it hurts. Feels like somebody just stabbed me in the heart. Then wild, man, wild. Maybe it's the marijuana, maybe, but it's still real. Something stops screaming in my head, and in one frigging second, I know my life. It's this sound. What's up, man? Jaime is looking at me weird. I shake my hand. Guy blowing on the flute is killing now, like a tidal wave or atoms splitting like in science class. Hey, this is way before Hamlet and Shakespeare. This is ancient. Bap, dee-dee-dee, bap, bap. The drums break and stop. A woman in a yellow leotard and African skirt steps in front of the people and says, Everybody back so we can start moving across the floor. Man, let's get out of here, Jaime say. These people is dancers or some crazy stuff. No, no, I groan. I ain't going nowhere. Get in lines of six, the teacher say. Everybody does what she says, including me. Jaime is looking at me stupid. I look at him and go meet what's mine. Shucks, like I went to him when I wanted. I get in the back line behind a fat Spanish-looking girl in a brown and blue African skirt who is stepping side to side, bobbing her head to the beat. Why don't you take off your shoes, she says, bending from her waist till her torso is over her knees, still stepping side to side. I take off my shoes, start stepping side to side right behind her. The drums start up, and the woman in yellow hollers, Adelejo. The people start moving, and I move with them. To subscribe to Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.